Welcome, gas heads, to a very special chat with episode of Gascast. I'm Jacob Kelly, and today, to commemorate Remembrance Day, I'll be co-hosting this episode with the very special Kay Whitfield. Kay Whitfield is a gas head and served uh, seven years in the Royal Artillery and now works for NHS Community Mental Health Services. How are you, Kay? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. It's my first time proper hosting. So I was just saying to our amazing Max, the producer, before the pod, I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to mess this up. Um, but we're really, I'm so glad you could make it today because um, we've got an amazing guest. So today's special guest is former Bristol Rovers defender and former Lance Bombardier with the Royal Artillery, Tom Broadbent. How are you, Tom? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Very, very happy to have you on the pod today. So the plan today for anyone uh, listening, uh, we'll have a chat about Rover's stuff. And then we're going to talk about some of Tom and Kay's experiences whilst being in the military. So how's life treating you um, at Eastleigh? It's all right. It's, um, I won't lie, it's been a little bit frustrating to start with. Obviously, um, went into pre-season and got injured straight away. Um which isn't ideal going into a new club. So I missed all the pre-season. I've only just started coming back. I come back for a couple of games and it flared up again, an issue with my knee. Um, but I'm back in training now. So hopefully I'll be back playing soon. Good, good. And how, like, how was your time at Rovers? I loved it. I was just saying to my mate earlier, actually, it's like probably the best time I've had, to be honest. Um, like the group of lads that I went into, um, like you couldn't ask for a better group of lads to go into a, a club. And I thought going into professional football and that group of lads, I thought that every club would be the same, um, but it, it isn't. So probably the best experience I've had in football, to be honest. Yeah, I was looking at that squad that you were with and actually it's got some absolute, like I think in years to come, yeah, we'll be looking. It's got to be the best Rovers team so far, I reckon. All the fans say it as well, don't they? Yeah, so, yeah, it's true. Characters and that in the group. Um, you can't ask for better characters, to be no. honest. Yeah, and I was thinking, uh, I was chatting to Max before the pod about the uh, famous video of your first, uh, I think it was like the first press conference where they splashed you with water and flour. <laughs> and I, I've seen coffee. The, yeah, coffee. And I've seen the footage, a different footage from someone's phone where you can see some of the players' reactions. And I was like, it was like a who's who. And like, there's some real, if we look at, you know, they're not at the club now, but actually, you know, some of those individuals have done some amazing stuff for the community as well as like their amazing like uh, work on the pitch. If you could think of like your best experience at Rovers, what would you say that would be? Um, obviously, it was, I think, to start with, obviously, I was on trial and then I remember the best feeling ever when obviously I got told that I was being offered a contract and then. Not long after that, I went on on the preseason tour with them to Portugal. It was like I knew that I was like part of the team there, and everyone was more welcoming. Welcoming because, like you think, you go on trial at a club. It's always difficult. Like no one really wants to be your mate mm-hmm. and like make it easy for you. Um, I think Clark <laughs> James Clark actually was one of the most difficult ones to be honest. <laughs> and I ended up moving in with him and be, becoming really good friends, but. I think the the Portugal tour was really good. Um, I really enjoyed that because it sort of made me feel like welcome. Um, and then obviously my league debut against Charlton away 
I think there's about 16,000 there. Um, and then one of the best points in one of the games, I think we played Bradford at home and we beat them 3-1. And I think like when, I think it was Chris Lyons, no, it was either Lyonsy or Circum who scored one of the goals. And it was just like the atmosphere at the ground was just unreal. Like it's, it was mental. I remember running over to celebrate and you could like, it was like it was bouncing, like you could hear it. Like it was mad. That was probably one of the best experiences as well. Have you experienced that response from other like teams you've played, like you've played for, like uh, the fans? Yeah, to be fair, Swindon fans were really good as well. When we won, obviously it was different because when we when we won the league, it was like points per game, um, so the fans weren't really allowed in there. But like that part of the season before, when we were doing really well, the fans were amazing as well. But um, I just remember that at Rovers, that was that was something else, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, DC brought you in. What was it? What was it like working with Daryl? Yeah, he was good. Um, I loved him, to be honest. It was he's one of the managers that like you couldn't not like. Um, so I remember a point where I'd been playing and I'd been playing well, and he took me out of the team. And he said, like, oh, it's just a manager, you know, it's your first season. And, like, a couple of games went by and we didn't really get any any results. And I I remember thinking, right, I'm going to go and see the gaffer and, like, got, like, my statistics there ready to say, like, look, played this amount of games, <laughs> won this and all that, like, these clean sheets. Go in there and speak to him. And uh, I'd come out of there <laughs> and he'd make me feel like I was the best player at the club, but I still wouldn't be playing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking how, how's he done that he just had that way of like speaking to his players to make you feel like you were you were special even if you weren't playing mm. and obviously near the end of his time there was a lot of stuff with him sort of in the paper around talking to the press and being a bit more open about what was needed at the club as players could you feel that tension obviously it was like I mean, I was coming into my, I think I was coming into my second season there when he left. So I was still quite sort of new to it. Um, I didn't really pay attention to what was going on in the background. I didn't know what was, what was meant to be normal and what, what wasn't within, with regards to like our club was run. Um, But I know that, you know, he wasn't happy with a lot of things that were going on and like he'd been there a long time and brought a lot of players through like Locks and Ollie. And like when he left, like people were generally like crying when he was leaving. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and I was thinking, wow, what's what's going on? Like even Marcus Stewart and and Daryl Clark were like there was there was tears in people's eyes. Um, it was quite quite emotional time. What about Graham's eyes? Were there any tears in his eyes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think there were. To be honest, I don't think there's ever been tears in his eyes. To be honest, Daryl brought him in, didn't he? And yeah. you know what? I got on really well with Cogs as well. Um, you know, I thought he was a good coach, and you know, it's something that was new to me because obviously the the time before he came in, we didn't really have a defensive coach. I mean, um, like we've done bits, um, but he come in and that was like his job. Um, I mean, Dutz, there was Dutz there as well, um, who'd done a bit, but he he more works like in general with with the team, but Cogs like proper. We'd done proper like defensive drills and like basics and things like that, and I got on really well with him. Um, so 
Was he much different when he took over, like the manager's job? I think it was because he took over and then obviously I left shortly after. So I think he was still fi- like finding his feet there, to be honest. Um, you know, it, it, I wanted to stay, to be honest with you. Um, and we had that conversation. And I, I said that I want to stay, um, but obviously I've got six months left in my deal. And Swindon are offering a, a two and a half year deal. I said, like, I, I want a new contract. I want mm. a bit of security. And he said that he couldn't offer me that. It wasn't his It wasn't his decision. Mm. Um, and I said, well, I'll go then. And he said, okay, see you later. <laughs> that's pretty much, I, that's how the conversation went. Yeah. And I've had conversations with other players that have left that sort of time and in the summer and their sort of view on how he dealt with that if you look at like that summer how many sort of big characters left um and not really replacing them and and yeah it was a it's a bit of an old one what are your sort of do you keep an eye on how things are getting going on now in rovers i do but not as much anymore because i don't know a lot of the players now Mm. um a lot of the players that i was with there have moved on as well so there's only a handful of people i mean Alfie's there and you know he wasn't even getting a look in when I was there um I do keep an eye on a little bit because Brett's gone there now and obviously I was with Brett at, at Swindon so um I do keep an eye on the results still but not not as much as I used to what what are your thoughts on the current affairs at Rovers currently in in what sort of way what do you mean like how how are you getting on or yeah just like the whole sort of you know I don't want to. I thought I thought I thought um, Rovers would be doing a lot better, to be honest. Um, but having said that, I don't know a lot of the players that that have been mm. brought in. Yeah. Um, so I can't really comment on it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, you're at Eastley now. Would you ever, if the deal come along, would you ever want to come close come back to Bristol? <laughs> Um, obviously, my if they offer you a two and a half year deal, <laughs> obviously, my commitment's at Eastleigh, but you know, you'd never say never, would you? Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I was, from chatting to ex players, even if they've gone out on in ways that they hadn't really wanted, all of them have said, I would love to come back. Like, the fans yeah. were great, yeah, um, definitely. I, the fans were the fans were unreal. Um, you know, you'd never say never. Um, but you know, you you'd want to go back there and want it to be the same, and you yeah, just don't yeah. think it would be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Do you think Daryl would go back? Because there's been always talks like he might go back. Do you think that would be ever a possibility? It would almost probably be like the same for him. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like he'd want to go back and want it to be sort of like the same, like the same sort of group as like what he had. And like that's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, as a you know, I, I imagine Rovers fans, it's not on their top thing. But you know, with you left at Swindon when things were going a bit pear shaped, like what was going I don't on? Know, I think the things were going sort of all right. Like I mean, oh, really, Cogs had you in. Uh, well, Cogs had Rovers in like fourth or something like that, mm. wasn't it? Mm. 
so it was kind of like they were like riding the wave really like, yeah um but i don't know i always say i kind of think like did i make the right decision leaving you just it's hindsight isn't it mm. no no swindon swindon Oh, Swindon. Yeah, yeah. Did I make a mistake leaving Swindon? No, 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 no. Uh, like, obviously, you left and there was a lot of stuff going on in the background. Yeah, there was loads. I Obviously, I didn't choose to leave. Um, obviously, my contract had run out and, like, like all the other lads there that were out of contracts, it ran out. But there was – I had actually had a message from Mildy, you know, Steve Mildenhall. He was obviously at Rovers as well. Was a go- uh, obviously, he's played for Rovers and he was the under-23s goalkeeper coach, but then went to Swindon. I had a message from him, well, a phone call from him in the summer saying, look, don't know what's going on, mate. Um, everyone's everyone's left. Like, we've not got a manager. The owner's selling. Like, there's no one here to offer anyone a new deal. So, unfortunately, we can't offer you one. Mm. Um, you know, things might change in the future, but at the moment, you know, you, you, you're free to go wherever. And I, I, I was expecting that anyway, like like everyone was who was there who was out of contract. Like we knew that, you know, there was the club was in a bit of a mess and that there was nothing nothing there on the table for us. So, you know, it was expected. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was a bit gutting because you look at now, they're doing really well, aren't they? Yeah, they've got... It's sort of shame, but you, you think they had a manager come in before he'd even played a game, he left again. They had players sign and before he played a game, he'd left. Like... I was thinking, wow, like it's a car crash at the minute. Um, but to be fair, like the new owner's come in and he's and he's turned it around and they're doing really well now. Yeah, yeah. It's and obviously they've got an ex uh, Rovers manager with Ben Garner. I think for Rovers fans, it's a bit of like this is what we could have had in some way, watching the style of football they play. But yeah. just for Ben, I think maybe it wasn't a good start with Ben when he came into Rovers. He had obviously the family stuff going on. Um, so what was it like, what will be your last in sort of two little quick questions, your last in best, like I know you said about playing at the moment. You know what, just, just I, I've spoke to a few of the lads at Swindon um, to see what it's like and they absolutely love it under him. Mm. Like they said, he's unreal. They said it's hard and they're quite long days, but everyone's bought into it. And even, um, Michael Kelly, who's who's at Eastleigh with us, said he was a great coach, like one of the best coaches he's played under. Yeah, um, I've I've met him uh, probably about three years ago. He came to uh, the mental health football group we run, and uh, just hearing like his experience and just like obviously you know coaching amateurs compared to professionals is completely different but just hearing him talk about how he learned his trade and like spent time with Mourinho and stuff like that and like really mastered some of his coaching stuff and just hearing the prep he did for each like session was unbelievable I just don't think it worked uh, out it was just wrong timings and certain things but uh, who was who was the biggest character in the Rovers dressing room when you were there um The two that pop up are obviously Brownie and Ellis. <laughs> Have you got any good stories about them? Yeah, I've got a few, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
not sure they can be told. Yeah, I was no. actually in Portugal with Brownie Ellis uh, this summer, just gone. Oh, really? Yeah, like, obviously we still keep in touch and that. I'm going to his, his missus' birthday party on the weekend as well, Brownie's. Oh, nice. Yeah. We'll say uh, gas cast in there, love. Yeah, I will do. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to bring Kay back into the conversation to join us. So Kay, if anyone doesn't know anything about you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell me a little bit about myself, okay. This vow, I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh, it's gone again. Again, oh my god, this thing. Okay, so um, I joined the army at 16. Um, was in the army for seven years in the Royal Artillery, done two tours of Afghan, got out of the army when I was 23, um, traveled the world a bit, traveled the world, lived in Australia for a couple of years. And then come back and got into mental health and started off in the hospitals, on the wards, and then decided to go community. So, yeah, that's me. I've had the pleasure to work with Kay a few times and just seeing the way she interacts with clients that are struggling. And I think I'd even seen you on the ward a couple of times. Um, And then in the community, uh, as soon as I heard... uh, you had those connections with rovers and the military stuff. I was like, look, we need to do something. So this is sort of a question for both of you, really. Um, what does uh, Remembrance Day mean to you and how do you sort of commemorate it? So do you want to start, Tom? Obviously, it's instilled in you when, when you join the army. Maybe, maybe when you join the army, you don't know how much it means, um, but it is a massive thing. Um, within the military. Um, obviously, it's commemorating all the people that lost their lives in, in both world wars, but it, for a lot of people that are currently serving, it's to remember like their friends and, and people that they lost in Afghan and Iraq and you know um, Northern Ireland and all sorts of wars like that. So, you know, it, it means a lot. And it, even now, when we're doing Remembrance Day at football, I'll always stand to attention and like some of the lads will probably be like, what's he doing? <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. And obviously I, I don't mind that because like they're thinking it's a bit of banter, but they don't really understand what it actually means. Um, like so your personal that's... thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, What about you, Kay? Yeah, with me, like I never, ever go to church ever, but the one time I go to church is obviously on Remembrance Sunday. And it's, yeah, it's just showing your respects, isn't it, for your, because I've had a lot of family in the forces as well. And I've, um, I knew people in Afghan that, you know, did die. And it's just, yeah, it's just taking that, just that day, just to really remember, you know, you know, why you joined and, and, and respecting respecting the people that died really isn't it and it, it, not just in Afghan and you know in all the wars so yeah it means a lot obviously for you Tom as well I know like each club makes it a thing I know I think the first I'll send this to Ed um to Max sorry before the first game I'd seen where was playing absolutely years was a couple of years ago and it was on Remembrance Day Sunday um and I th- I'm sure you were doing something like yeah i I remember it because obviously I started the game. Obviously, I was proud. I had the poppy on my chest, stood to attention. Bugle was playing, and 
and we were losing 3 1 at half time and got dragged off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the game. But, and I'm sure Wimbledon, it? someone lost a didn't someone miss a penalty or like I think I'm um, not too sure. I know Chris I'm not Lyons too sure, had a free kick and absolutely skied it uh into the stands. Um but yeah, so is it like is it something your family sort of do stuff to remember it? Not really. Yeah. I think they just respect, you know, what I've done. Um, like my mum especially. Um, like they they take it more seriously now that, that I've obviously served and, and things like that. Like they'll they'll go down on Remembrance Sunday to the church and obviously watch all the soldiers like marching through and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's quite a big thing now, but previously it wasn't until mm. I until I joined the forces. Mm. And with me, it's um all like my dad was in the navy, my my brother was in the same regiment as me, so we all go we all go together on the, on the Sunday and wear our medals and go to um, Salvation Army after and have a pint. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> respects, you know. But yeah, as my family, we all go together. Brilliant, and obviously, oh, carry on. That's one of the best parts as well, you know. You know, after you've done that sort of Remembrance Sunday bit. And you'll go into like the British Legion and stuff. Yeah. And you'll sit down with the, the old boys that yeah. like, and just, just listen to them. Yeah. That's one of the best bits. Yeah, definitely. And I think that like we've had conversations about shared experience and when we've done the mental health pods, how important hearing someone who's been through similar struggles as you, how important that is for your own sort of acceptance and whatever you're going through so exactly what you're saying there meeting other soldiers that have been uh-huh. sometimes you don't even have to talk about stuff that you've been through or witnessed or seen the good times yeah. and bad yeah. times it's just being around people that you know you're in a safe environment how did you get into the military Tom? it's kind of people ask me this quite a lot and it's you know none of my family has served mm. um well obviously maybe my my granddad's or you know, that I didn't know of, probably have, but it was like, I was, obviously football didn't work out when I was younger. I got, got released at like 17, 18, done a few sort of labouring jobs and concrete and things like that. And I was, I was getting paid in a cheque each week and I'd go to the cash converters, (laughs) (laughs) convert my my cheque into cash. I'd go, you know, buy a couple of new bits of clothing for the night out with my mate and then go and play football on a Saturday and then go on a night out on the Saturday night and then probably spend all my week's wages on a Saturday night and then be skint all the way through the week. And, and it would it'd be like all the time, like for a few months. And I just thought, what am I doing with my life here? Like, I need to do something. And the army was saying that had always sort of interested me. And I spoke to a mate who was serving anyway. And he said, all you'll do is play football. Um, so I ended up joining. And obviously, I, I don't regret that. I've, I've never looked back. I, I loved it. Um, it's probably the best thing I ever did. What about you, Ken? I know you said about some of your family. Yeah, so my brother joined. He's a couple of years older than me. He joined. And then... Yeah, I was at school. I was getting bad grades, not because I wasn't trying, just because I just wasn't really intelligent, really, to be honest. <laughs> so I just, I just wasn't getting the grades, and I just thought, 
do you know what? I'll go in. I'll do my four years um, just to get the experience. Hope, hopefully, get a medal, and hopefully, get a bit of money behind me. And um, yeah, so I, I signed up when I was fifteen, and then I had my date to even join the army before I even left school. Really, so I think I joined like two months after I left school. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Were you at Harrogate then? No, at Basenborn. Oh, was it? Yeah, that's it. Closed not long after I went there, but yeah, um, Basel. I think it's near. It was near London. Yeah. Why did you go Harrogate? No, no, I went to Perbright. Oh yeah, okay. I joined at nineteen, so. Okay, yeah, cool. So are they are those like training centres? Yeah, they're the. Yeah, where you do your like phase one training. Yeah. Is it was it is it as bad as that they show on the TV? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, when I joined, um, I got put, obviously, I was in a girls' platoon and it was very difficult being in, because we were all 16, there was like 30 of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can imagine, you can imagine what it was like. And that was probably more difficult than the actual training. I think that's probably because bit. of the, the age group of the people that were there. Yeah, 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 it's got to be. You know, obviously I went to Purbright and there was so many different ages. You know, obviously you don't have the, the younger lads there. It's, you know, from yeah. 17, 18 to... 30. I mean, yeah, we're, we're all babies still, really. It's just, yeah. I look back now and I think, why did I join at 16? Oh, you are so stupid, but... It's made you who you are today. Isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Um, I, I, I grown up. I grew up quick, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how, like Tom, how was your like for say a Bristol Warriors fan who ain't got a clue about anything to do with the service? What is like a general day in the military like? I mean, it's different every day. Um, I mean, for for my regiment, I was the UAVs like the unmanned air vehicles so spy planes for all the people that play call of duty and stuff like that um so a lot of the time if we're just in camp you're not doing a lot because you can't go out on the area and fly them so you're you're sort you're almost sat about a lot of the time i was actually Mm -hmm. speaking to my mate earlier and saying sometimes it didn't feel like a job no you're there with your mates you'll you'll go and parade at eight o'clock um, for like the nominal role and stuff like that and then after that you'll sit in the crew room and almost wait for someone to come in and go go do this yeah I found it when I was in camp it was like they would find things yeah, for you to do like I'll go and brush those leaves that just flew there and then they'll fly straight back yeah, again just, so like trying to find a really um, sure. But I found I found good ways of looking like I was busy. <laughs> yeah, I'd get a little yeah. folder and walk around with a folder, and therefore yeah, we leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> and then what what led to like obviously so did you just do that sort of in the UK stuff, and then what leads to then you going out to serve in Afghanistan? Obviously, you'll do your pre-deployment training, so you'll go on exercises, um, doing you know, out, mm. out on the areas and certain different places um, doing the job role that you'll be doing out on tour. So for us, it was like you'd be getting your flying hours up. So I'd be launching the 
the unmanned air vehicle, I'd be running up and throwing it and getting a certain amount of flights in and stuff like what that. Regiment so get... you in? Huh? What regiment was you in? Four seven regiment. Where was that based? Uh Salisbury. But it was oh, based yeah. in Coney Island first. Yeah, because it yeah, I thought it was is that Larkill then, was it? Yeah, Larkill, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So obviously like like you obviously would have done the same. You just your pre deployment training where yeah. you tick certain boxes before you can Definitely. um It's but, normally like a year long, isn't it really? But a year before yeah. you go on tour, you do like yeah. those are tip boxes. Yeah, a lot of them are pointless boxes to be fair. Yeah. But, yeah. but you have to do them and then obviously, yeah, because everyone wants to go on tour, that's that's what you join the army for. Mm. So you'll tick all the relevant boxes and then and then off you go. And how what was that obviously I imagine for your family that was a difficult time, especially like your parents. How was that what were your sort of inner thoughts and feelings around going out there? Um, for me, obviously, it's something that I, I wanted to do since I joined and all my mates were going. It almost felt like a like a holiday to, to start with until reality kicks in. Um, but yeah, for like my mum and like my brothers and that, it was obviously worrying and I had like little send-off parties and things like that, like you, you milk it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse for a drink and that. Um but um, no, they were right at supporting and obviously speak to them when you can. Um, let them know you're you're okay and and, it, and it's fine. Time time probably well, it probably went slower for them while mm. while I was out there, I suppose. And uh, Kate showed me some photos of like her camp, and she showed me. I was like, oh, what was that? You didn't believe me. <laughs> I was like, show me like. <laughs> Where, like, show me the bedroom. Like, what, what's the bedroom look like? Bedroom. Like, what, what's the sleeping? Hardly a bedroom, is it? Yeah. And then she showed me like this tent that was probably small. About than twelve my... beds in. Well, it was. It was just a single little no, tent. It, I showed you the one with like this, just some sandbags of a little bit of uh, wood on top, wasn't it? That's what. Yeah. That's my first tour. Yeah. <laughs> and like, did you know? Like, obviously, I've watched a few videos of. Um, military sort of just talking about that time whilst sort of front line in Afghanistan and did you notice that there was sort of other officers struggling whilst you were there because there's a lot of talk about PTSD after they come back but did you notice that whilst you were soldiers like 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 officers yeah the 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 general like soldier like is that a soldier no, officers are like well, officers. Were you an officer, Kay, were you? No, 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 oh. no, no, no. No, God no. Yeah, like a soldier. Okay. <laughs> so you're just saying like soldiers in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was um believe it or not, there's actually a lot of suicides out in Afghan soldiers. Is that something like that officers talked about and soldiers talked about whilst there? No. No, people don't really talk about it out there. Is that something that you struggle with, like you witnessed, Tom? No, to be honest with you, I didn't witness any of that while I was out there. I didn't hear of any of that um, mm. while I was out there. Actually, I've heard about it on camp in the UK mm. a few times, to be fair. 
on my second tour, I remember three three people commit suicide in Afghan on the same day. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And obviously, we know, like, me and Kay know, like, in our industry, if that happens, we have, like, a debrief, we all meet up. Oh, no. No, you uh, don't get anything like that, no. No. And I suppose that then... I suppose in Afghan, you're, in a way, like... I, I think if it was like someone in your battery or someone in your squad or something like that, like it, it, yeah, you probably would have like a debrief from that because it was like no one we knew. You just so busy, you just yeah. I suppose you just you just up. hear it and then yeah, you hear it and then get on with it. In, carry on with the day. It sounds horrible. Mm. And. What what about you, Tom? I know you said you didn't witness that sort of stuff. Was there times whilst you were serving over there that a couple of times you were like, I just feel uncomfortable about this? Um, personally, while I was out there, like, is there times where I thought, yeah, not, no, not not really. Like, there was times where I thought to myself. I'm never going home. Mm. Like this is this is how how it is. Not not because I felt like I was in danger, but just because I got so used to. I mean, mm. I was out there for five months straight because I didn't get R and R. So obviously, I, I went out for five months and ended up going home early. Um, but like, it just felt like that was the such the norm that like. Mm. I was just like, this is it. Like, I forgot what grass looked like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when I flew back in and I saw green, like, I was so happy. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but mm. it's just like them little things that you think, oh, like, you appreciate a bit of greenery. Yeah, definitely. And I was, uh, you know, last night I was preparing for uh, today. I was doing some research. I listened to a song and I wanted to ask you, what does this song mean to you, Tom? Uh, Scar Tissue by Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, I do remember that. So I listen to it all the time still, you know. Um, it brings back memories. Like, that was like the first time, obviously, I'm, I'm sure like that obviously brought it up because, you know, obviously I was listening to it in, in the vehicle when we were out on like a vehicle patrol. Like, well, I think we were heading back into Camp Bastion actually. And like my mate tapped me and said, do you hear that? And there was like rounds pinging off our vehicle. And I was listening to scar tissue at the time. So obviously that's why that song sort of sticks in my head. But like, obviously that's, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel in danger. It was just mm. a bit like, it's, it felt normal then. Do you know what I mean? I just put it back in. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you think that sort of, because, you know, for the general public, that is something that, you know, they just could, no way could cope with that sort of like exposure. Do you think that exposure to sort of, I don't want to say violence, but sort of, war exposure to war and what is the process of going into war do you do you think that has had uh impact on your sort of life moving forward the positives and negatives i don't know because it's still hard to it's it's even still hard to explain like you almost forget how you felt in them situations do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it just felt normal at the time um 
And if you were to go back to them now, you, you might think differently. But like, I do think that it does does impact your, your life because I feel just like certain hurdles that I come come up against like in life, I sort of think, I try and think back to, to them sort of situations and, uh, and it kind of helps me deal with them. Do you know what I mean? What about you, Kay? So what was the question? <laughs> sort of, do you feel like that exposure, you know, I suppose in our industry in mental health, we have an exposure to trauma and hearing yeah. you know, quite graphic trauma and about abuse and stuff like that. Do you think that tr- that exposure to sort of violence and mm. what is in process for in going into war, do you think that had an impact on your sort of, well, like all round life experiences, the positives and negatives? Yeah, for sh- yeah, definitely. Like I think because you, you have so much training before you go out there you're like, well, it just becomes the norm, I suppose. And then now, like, I don't, I can't say that I've ever, like, well, since I've been out of the army, I've not been like, um, oh, that's because I was, oh, I just, I'm trying to explain it. I'm trying to, I keep forgetting what you asked. Do you, do you think it's hard to sort of, for people in the public to relate to your time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But like, like Tom said, like you just forget, you forget about it. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Just like thinking about that now, I'm just like I can't actually really remember half the stuff that I've seen or done out there. There's obviously certain things that stick, and like, but now I never think about it ever. Like, what about you, Tom? Do you ever get sort of like flashbacks or sort of? Things like listening to that song, it brings back positive or negative memories of your time. Sometimes when that song comes on, I think about that and I think, that was mad. Like, mm. you know what I mean? But I think where you say, like, does it impact you? I remember, obviously, when I went on trial with Bristol Rovers, I suppose this, this is an example, went on trial at Bristol Rovers and, like, before, like, when I'd gone on trial at clubs, before I joined the army, I was always nervous and shy and I didn't, I wanted to make sure people like, I wasn't very confident. And then obviously being in the army and being what I've been through, I went to Bristol Rovers thinking, nah, I don't, I don't care what people think. Mm. Like, I don't care if they think I'm good or not. I'm doing this for me. I don't, don't care if they think I'm any good or I'm not going to let no one ruin this opportunity for me. Like I went in there with like that attitude and I feel like that's sort of the attitude that the army sort of instilled in me. Mm. And I feel like I've probably lost that sort of that sort of confidence a little bit along the way because I've been out for so long. Mm. Um, but I definitely think that, that that's something that the army gives you. See, I think I was a little bit different. When I got out of the army, I was quite like not, I didn't feel conf- like confident because I've never been in, like civilian life because obviously I joined straight away at 16 and then coming out at 23 like being through and seeing what you have coming out I felt like oh my god I've never been in this environment before in my life I've literally got no confidence I don't know what the hell I'm doing where do I start how do I even do a CV how do I communicate with a civilian person because I've always just been squatting so it's just yeah. I didn't feel That's... confident at all. I had to like definitely like obviously the years go on, like I've built up a lot of confidence. And then looking back, I think actually I did 
did learn a lot of, you know learn a lot and built a lot actually confidence in the army but yeah it took me a while to acknowledge that I suppose I suppose that's probably the different environments that we we went into because I, I obviously mm-hmm. mine was I was going into pre-season with like a, a professional football club and I'm I'm there I'm I'm currently still serving in the army at the time and I'm thinking nah I'm not having you beat me I'm yeah. in the army. you ain't you ain't done what I've done and I'm making sure that I'm like winning the runs and obviously I didn't win the runs <laughs> I was up there <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but like I was thinking I'm not I'm not having need like you ain't done you ain't been through what I've been through and I'm, mm. I'm sort of thinking almost with a little bit of arrogance thinking like mm. you can go to war I, I've done this like I'm 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 not letting you beat me like yeah. that, that's kind of probably what helped me help me get uh, my contract at Bristol just just trying to yeah. be like be that confident and but I could imagine how difficult it could be going into a completely different world because I was playing football in the army and it was kind of like an easy transition for me. And people have asked mm. me, how did you find the transition from yeah. to civilian life? And I was thinking, well, it was easy because it's basically the same. But and it's completely like different when I come well. to get the job. I suppose like football players as well are like, you've got the banter and it's kind of the same isn't it as similar yeah army Army banter is obviously a little bit different as you know but it is similar but I think like I say I'm I'm probably gonna have a shock when I go in uh, when I finish playing football and go into a a normal job job. it's gonna be difficult it's so hard oh sorry Kate I think there's something about the football as well it's very there is, you know, you know when your training is, you've got to be there. Like, there is a bit of a structure to it. Yeah. I still felt like I was doing something wrong when I signed for Rovers and I'd finish, <laughs> I'd go training and start training at 10 o'clock and then finish at 12. And then I was finished and I was like, Now what? <laughs> what am I doing? I felt like I was in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It took me a, a good, like, few weeks to realize that I was like oh, I can go and sort of chill out now I felt like I was doing something wrong and in that tight like obviously whatever you feel comfortable with sharing but like what were some of the moments that were the most difficult whilst you were in service me whilst I was in service yeah yeah um do you know what I, I loved it like while I was serving and that it was it was just the I can't swear obviously <laughs> but like the you'll know okay you'll probably know the word I'm saying but when people throw something on you like last minute yeah when you've got plans for the weekend or things and like that and they're like oh no you're on guard duty this weekend. you're on guard and you're like nah you're like <laughs> where you are yeah, it's just all that. It's just the, the sort of not being yeah. able to plan your life, life, things like that. That that was the most that that was the thing that annoyed me the most. Um, you know, all the time that I'd go away and things like that, and I could get my head around that I was being away. I loved it, but like it was just the last minute things where they throw something mm-hmm. on you. You're doing this or pack your bags. You're going here on Monday, and it's just like give me a bit of notice. I, I've got a holiday booked. Oh, have you got insurance? No. Well, more for you, mate. Yeah. I remember they did that to me one year, like I booked like a really expensive holiday. I think it was like to the Maldives or something like that. And then like last minute they said, oh, we got to go and do this like parade somewhere. And I was like, 
I like I've literally got like I'm going to the Maldives in like in a couple yeah. of days. They're like, we'll cancel it. Yeah, cancel. So it. I was like, I'm my life, it. my life is over right now. Like, oh. And then your head's gone, and you're just yeah, there. Yeah, your head's gone, and then you're just life. angry. Then you just and then angry. they're and then they're on you even more. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like. What about you, Kay? Were there any? So, the hard, the probably one of the hardest things that I experienced in the army was being accepted as a female. Because I don't care what people say, there is sexism in, in the army, 100%. Um, and when I joined my regiment, it was so hard to fit in with the lads. Like, they've been there for so many years. And then you're a young female joining that regiment. And it was, it's like, you, I constantly had to prove myself all the time. And there was, like, certain um, soldiers that just, you know, would not accept females whatsoever. And it was just a battle all the time, all the time. And, like, towards the end of my the, the time I was in the army, it actually was a lot better. If, you know, um, generations go on and people will have a lot more acceptance of it, as I suppose. But it was so hard when I first joined for the first couple of years, just like, oh, well, you're a female, you can't do it. Or you're a female, you can do that. Do you know what I mean? It was just, yeah, it was really, really hard. And it probably still is happening now, but probably. When did you get out? 2013. So it's like a year after after I joined that. But no, I, I know what you mean because obviously I. You've probably seen it, like seen there's it, yeah, females yeah. in your regiment. Uh, those times, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's just I think females' experience is a lot different than a male's experience. Yeah, I'm sure. No matter like if you're like amazing at your job or you know you're keeping up with the lads in, in the fitness and stuff like that, there's still the suffering. They would always find suffering that. Yeah. Not yeah. good enough, and it's just really, really, yeah. Mm. That's probably the hardest thing for me. And I know we sort of brushed upon it earlier about like sort of going back into civilian life. Mm. Did you, did you, I know both of you have said like you, you didn't really experience any sort of struggles with your mental health after going into civilian life. But what about other like officers that you worked with or spent time with? Did you notice it was quite common with other officers? Yeah. Like lots of my friends caught PTSD when, um, we come back from Africa and a lot of people left and then couldn't cope at home being in civilian life so they rejoined <laughs> so but um for, for me it was very very difficult uh oh, we're talking about actually when I come out of the army I'm t- I was going to speak then about when we come back from Afghan but um when we come back I remember I'll talk about it a little bit when I got back from Afghan. Obviously, you're away for so long at war, and then you come back, and then you know you can see green. You you can actually have alcohol. You can go out and all these things, and you're just like, oh my god, this is amazing. And I remember my best friend organised this really big um, party at the pub, like a welcome back party. And I remember walking up, and I couldn't walk into the pub. I literally was outside and I was like, I can't do it. I can't be around people. This is so overwhelming. And I don't know why. It was just, I was really looking forward to it. And I'm really looking forward to having a drink. But I just couldn't walk into this pub. And it's just, yeah, 
Was it like a panic attack sort of thing? Yeah, I suppose. I was just panicking. I was like, oh my God, like people are going to be like surrounding me, like asking me loads of questions. And like, I haven't seen people for so long. I've always, you know, and I just, I and I did eventually go in and I just literally just got so overwhelmed I think I left after a bit because it was just like being overwhelmed and then mixing alcohol together when you haven't mm. drank for so long it's like it's not not ideal is it you only get two cans in Cyprus don't you go up <laughs> no I um I, I went up with all the Fijians you know they were making out all their grog <laughs> you is that like homemade it? alcohol um it's like swamp water and it makes you all like numb and weird it's yeah Wow. <laughs> I that in Cyprus, I got really ill. <laughs> I don't know, we talked about it before we started recording. You know, what is the most common things people ask you that when they, they know you've been in forces, the good and the bad, I suppose? Or And do you think there's questions that they ask that I suppose they mean well, but actually probably not the best things to ask? I don't know if they say it meaning well they'd probably say it's banner like but mm-hmm. have have you killed anyone it's probably the main one yeah, isn't it? yeah. have you killed anyone have you shot anyone have you shot anyone yeah have you been shot at yeah and i um, suppose that one have you killed someone you know for a lot of soldiers at the front you know they would have had to do that and yeah that is something that you, people that you know killed. you soldier would ever admit it like go out yeah. and admit that go well, not, to, not to a civilian anyway like no. obviously but amongst amongst us uh, they would have said like obviously yeah I imagine that's something that's really hard to process like that yeah. the whole thing just mentally no it, it's a decision that you know has had to be made but if you had killed someone you wouldn't want to really say it would you yeah, yeah especially yeah. to you know anyone if you generally have killed someone, you wouldn't be coming out going, "Yeah, I've killed X amount of people." Like, yeah, yeah. no, you're lying. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not something. Obviously, I haven't killed anyone, but it's not something that people that I know have killed someone talk about. Mm. Um, you know, I've got no, people don't talk about that. I got friends do, with snipers, and obviously, they don't know if they've killed someone, and they don't want to talk about it. Mm. So. And did you think, you know, and that's hopefully people understand, what are things, do you think there's helpful things that maybe the public could know about sort of ways to maybe support soldiers leaving the military in sort of, even just that general conversation about not asking stupid questions like that, but just how to sort of be more aware and present of how they can support military officers? Not too sure, really. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, you know, there's things that people could say to them, like not to ask, but yeah, yeah, they're the burning questions that they want to ask, so they're going to ask them, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not bothered about knowing anything else, really. It's where have you been? Have you killed anyone? Have you been shot at? Have you seen a dead person? Like that's all people want to know. They're not really bothered about knowing anything else. They don't no. even think about how that could affect you. No, or... no. And how does that affect you? Do you find it quite disrespectful? Yeah, I do. Um, I think I'd feel differently if I had killed someone. I'd probably feel a bit more uncomfortable about it. But mm. because I haven't, I'm kind of like, I'm not bothered about the question. 
But I know that if they'd have asked one of my mates that have actually been in that situation where they've had to kill someone, it, it wouldn't feel very comfortable. Yeah, definitely. And like now, sort of coming to the near the end of this, like the chat, do you think there could be done, like more done to sort of help uh, people leaving the army with their mental health and sort of just getting used to civilian life? I do. Um, you know, obviously, when I was coming to leaving the army, obviously, I, I was in the process of leaving the army before I got my my um, trial at Bristol Rovers, and and it seems like there's a lot that the army are doing to help you with, like regards to getting a job and a job offer before you leave and things like that. But I know people that have got out and they're like out of a job and things like that, and it's just like mm-hmm. it's almost like they only help you to a certain point. And then that's it. Like they'll they'll, they'll leave you, mm. um, and it's like there there needs to be some sort of continuous support, like a follow up, like yeah. every like every couple of months or something, checking in, yeah. like how are you doing? Have you got a job? Are you stable? Have you got somewhere yeah. to live? Because I think like most homeless people are actually ex ex like ex services, aren't they? Yeah, because I mean a lot of people that join the services are people that haven't got a lot of family. Yeah. Anyway, because that's what they think. Oh. I've not got family and things like that. I'll join the services and it gives them like a, a, platform, a roof over their head and, and money mm. in their pocket and a life really. Um, but then once they leave, they're going out to nothing again. I suppose for those people, they're getting a family, a support network that in, whilst they're in the services, mm. if they don't have that support network in, in yeah. civilian life, They've got these people that they can talk about if they are struggling with the well-being and the mental health or just have an avenue just to have some banter with and relieve that stress. So then to go back to nothing and then back to re- real life. Yeah, that probably hits them even harder to go back yeah. to nothing. And then you've got the added trauma of things you've seen. Turn to drink and turn to drugs and things like that. Um, and that's where you can go even more downhill from there. Mm. What what advice would you like both give to like any you know I'd love to you know if there was any sort of service people or anyone listening to this that was struggling would you what advice would you give them? I'll let Kay go first. <laughs> what advice would I give him? Like get you know get help. Like reach out, reach out to either friends, family, or services mental health services get support there's not not just for mental health but there's the support for for housing and and things like that just just don't be afraid reach out because there is people out there that want to help and want Mm. to support you um you're not alone um there's lots of people in that situation isn't there Mm. lots of people get out people feel like they can't reach out or there is no help out there but but there is you just just make that one phone call and then you know get the ball rolling to get help because a lot of ex ex army have got too much pride and they feel like they can't ask for help or yeah. feel like if they do then they they'll be you know could feel ashamed or um yeah embarrassed but I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, to be honest, because I think people, a lot of people say there's not enough help from the army for people that have got out. But I feel like a lot of it is 
down to the individual with mm. with their pride as in yeah. there is there is numbers for you to call but a lot of people yeah. choose not to call them through embarrassment and shame that yeah. I've got out and it's not worked out for me and now I'm having to call the army for them to help me again mm. um so I think like what you said there like just don't feel ashamed or embarrassed to feel like yeah it's not worked can you help me again yeah i think that's why we run these sort of uh interviews because i think it you know to have a professional footballer who's been in the services talk openly about mental health well-being and just their experiences it has a huge effect on breaking down that stigma and shame you know when we've had footballers talk about having suicidal thoughts or suicidal attempts that massively has an impact on Joe blogs who's struggling with their mental health or feeling suicidal because they can go, look, if this footballer felt this, you know, then it is pretty, or talk about it. Then if they can talk about it, you know, I can talk about it. So like, we really appreciate obviously both of you coming on uh, tonight and sharing your experiences and being so open. Um, if you're affected by anything that's been mentioned in today's uh, podcast, please follow any of the organizations in our description below personally i'd say you know the best thing you can do if you're listening to this and struggling is just talk it's free and it's always like Kate said there's always people out there that want to listen and help you you know for me with my own mental health i think if i didn't talk about it i definitely wouldn't be here now so i think it's really important that if you're at that stage where you're struggling, talking is the best thing you can do. So thank you so much, Tom, for coming on today. Thank you, Kay. And uh, thank you from everyone from the GasCast team. And we'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much. Bye.